You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Shifting cyber threats during Russia's war against Ukraine, a Twitter exploit may have compromised more than 5 million accounts. A cyber attack disrupts NHS 111. Developments in the C2C market, an alleged Russian cryptocurrency exchange operator is extradited to the U.S. Rick Howard looks at fintech. Andrea Little-Limbago from Enteros on industrial policy and the tech divide. And a crypto mixing service has been sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 8th, 2022. The opening phase of Russia's hybrid war was marked by a series of wiper attacks that at the time seemed to foreshadow a more extensive cyber campaign to come, but failed to live up to the promised menace of the preparation. ESET's threat report T1-2022 offers some perspective on the early attacks, some of their after-effects, and their less-than-fully-successful successor operations. ESET says... On the eve of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, ESET researchers discovered new data wiper malware deployed in Ukraine on that day, which was installed on hundreds of machines in at least five organizations in that country. The attack came just hours after a series of distributed denial-of-service onslaughts knocked several important Ukrainian websites offline. The data wiper was first spotted just before 1700 local time, 1500 UTC, February 23rd. ESET researchers assess with high confidence that the affected organizations were compromised well in advance of the wiper's deployment. The early access and staging are significant insofar as they indicate Russian preparation for hybrid combat. Another familiar attack failed, even with the malware in question being deployed in a new version. The Sandworm Threat Actor, also known as Voodoo Bear and for some time identified as Unit 74455 of the GRU, had been active with some success against sections of the Ukrainian power grid as early as 2015. 
it attempted to hit high-voltage electrical substations again in early April of this year, but without success. ESET says, For over five years, ESET researchers have wondered why Indestroyer, as sophisticated as it was, was never deployed again. This April, the wait was over, when we collaborated with CERT-UA to respond to a cyber incident affecting an energy provider in Ukraine and help to remediate and protect this critical infrastructure. The collaboration resulted not only in the disruption of the attack, but also in the discovery of a new Indestroyer variant, which we, together with CERT-UA, named Indestroyer 2. In this case, the sandworm attackers made an attempt to deploy Indestroyer 2 against high-voltage electrical substations in Ukraine. In addition to Indestroyer 2, Sandworm used several destructive malware families, including Caddywiper, Orc Shred, Solo Shred, and Awful Shred. ESET researchers don't know how attackers compromised the initial victim, nor how they moved from the IT network to the industrial control system network. If successful, this attack could have left 2 million people without electricity, claimed Farid Safarov, Ukraine's deputy minister of energy. As it was, the attempt failed. On Friday, Twitter disclosed a cyber attack that compromised some users' personal information. Twitter says, In January 2022, we received a report through our bug bounty program of a vulnerability in Twitter's systems. As a result of the vulnerability, if someone submitted an email address or phone number to Twitter's systems, Twitter systems would tell the person what Twitter account the submitted email address or the phone number was associated with, if any. This bug resulted from an update to our code in June 2021. When we learned about this, we immediately investigated and fixed it. At that time, we had no evidence to suggest someone had taken advantage of the vulnerability. But it turned out that a threat actor had exploited the vulnerability to collect personal information before Twitter applied the patch and was now offering the stolen data for sale. Twitter is in the process of notifying affected users. Bleeping Computer reports that some 5.4 million accounts were scraped for personal data before the vulnerability was fixed. A cyber attack against a third-party provider has disrupted Britain's National Health Service's NHS 111 online service, an advice and scheduling platform designed to make it easier and quicker for patients to get the right advice or treatment they need. Advanced, a digital services provider for NHS 111, detected the attack on Thursday. The BBC says the target of the attack was the system used to refer patients for care, including ambulances being dispatched, out-of-hours appointments bookings, and emergency prescriptions. The Guardian reported on Saturday that the government was organizing a coordinated resilience response and that recovery might well take into this week. There's so far been no public attribution of the attack, but the Telegraph says that an unnamed nation-state is suspected. Investigation, like recovery, remains a work in progress. There are two noteworthy developments in the criminal-to-criminal marketplace— First, as Bleeping Computer reported on Thursday, a service that calls itself Dark Utilities offers command and control as a service for criminal clients. Researchers at Cisco Talos describe the service as a platform that provides full-featured C2 capabilities to adversaries. 
It's marketed to the underworld as offering affordable, remote access, command execution, distributed denial-of-service attacks, and cryptocurrency mining operations on infected systems. Subscribers can get command and control as a service for an initial fee of just under 10 euros. Dark Utilities has some 3,000 active subscribers. In another C2C subsector, the initial access broker marketplace where stolen credentials are hawked, the Genesis marketplace is said to deliver its wares with sophistication and polish. Researchers at Sophos describe the service, which has been active since 2017, as follows. Genesis, called Genesis Marketplace or Genesis Store or Genesis Market, the site refers to itself inconsistently, is an invitation-only marketplace. It sells stolen credentials, cookies, and digital fingerprints that are gathered from compromised systems, providing not just the data itself but well-maintained tools to facilitate its use. On Thursday, Alexander Vinnick finally arrived in the U.S., extradited from Greece. Mr. Vinnick, the U.S. Department of Justice announced Friday, faces money laundering charges in connection with BTCE, an exchange that allegedly catered to the criminal-to-criminal market. Assistant Attorney General Kenneth A. Polite Jr. of the Justice Department's Criminal Division said, after more than five years of litigation, Russian national Alexander Vinnick was extradited to the United States yesterday to be held accountable for operating BTCE, a criminal cryptocurrency exchange, which laundered more than $4 billion of criminal proceeds. And finally, in a cyber-related designation, the U.S. Department of the Treasury this morning added Tornado Cash to the department's specially designated nationals list. Tornado Cash is a virtual currency mixer, and the Treasury Department has concluded that this particular mixer is implicated in laundering the proceeds of cybercrime. In particular, Reuters reports... The department is concerned about the uses North Korea's Lazarus Group has made of Tornado Cash. The immediate effect of the sanctions, Coindesk notes, is that U.S. persons will no longer be able to use the mixer. This is the second virtual currency mixing service Treasury has sanctioned for connections with North Korea. Blender.io came under sanction early this past May. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. 
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer and also our Chief Analyst. Rick, great to have you back. Hey, Dave. So on your CSO Perspectives podcast this week, you are highlighting a topic called fintech. And uh, that phrase pops up all the time as I'm reporting the news. But I have to admit that I am less than crystal clear (laughs) on exactly what it means. So can you clarify it for us here? What's going on? Sure. So it's a kind of like a general term, this X-Tech, quote, unquote. You know, it's new technology that seeks to improve and automate services like in various sectors. You've heard of agri-tech for agriculture, ed-tech for education, ad-tech for marketing. FinTech is for financial services. Hmm. The FinTech ecosystem has been around for years. But just recently, venture capitalists have been investing huge wads of cash into FinTech startups to take advantage of this new thing called Web 3.0, all this new innovation going on there, which is essentially taking the middleman out of the equation like the banker and maybe using blockchain technology to do it. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to two fintech experts because I had no idea what it was until we started talking about this. Uh, (laughs) They're they're both from Akamai, so they'll tell us what's going on. Shouldn't it be fine tech? It's financial (laughs) Like I'm, just, I don't, I don't mean to be pedantic, but maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe fintech, yeah. It is fine-tech. spelled fintech, yeah. It is spelled uh, fintech. It's yeah. financial. I guess if you called it fintech, people would think it was about finding people. So uh, <laughs> the all two right. Akamai guys said it was fintech, so we'll go with them. All right. Yeah. No. So, no. I, I definitely yeah. bow to their expertise. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that is for our CyberWire Pro subscribers. Uh, what's going on over on the CSO Perspectives public podcast feed? Yeah, so that's the ad-supported side where we are publishing old episodes of the pro version. And this week we're talking to Bob Turner, the education field CISO at Fortinet, and Kevin McGee, the Microsoft CSO for Canada, about how they talk to their customers about orchestrating the security stack. And uh, that particular subject never gets old. There's always something new going on there. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, last but not least, uh, how about the word of the week over on the Word Notes podcast? Well, Dave, I may have mentioned on this show from time to time, you know, that I regularly get my backside kicked by seven-year-olds playing my favorite video game, Fortnite. Yeah. And it has occurred to me that maybe my losing record is not because I'm such a bad player, but maybe it's because the seven-year-olds are cheating, okay? I'm just saying, how could they be that good? Okay, I'm just okay. saying. Oh, Rick. <laughs> poor, poor, sweet, innocent Rick. <laughs> okay, well, so for this week's <laughs> phrase on Word Notes, we're talking about anti-cheating software uh, from the gaming uh, vertical. So that should be fun. All right, very good. 
Once again, Rick Howard is the host of CSO Perspectives. That is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out all about it on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Andrea Little-Limbago. She is Senior Vice President for Research and Analysis at Enteros. Andrea, always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch base with you today on some of the things we're seeing when it comes to industrial policy uh, and how that intersects with some of the work you're doing as a social scientist. Uh, there's some interesting um, developments going on around the world. No, there really are. And you know, for a long time, you know, industrial policy really isn't the most uh, exciting thing to be discussing. And really what, <laughs> what, we, what we mean by that really is, you know, is, is, is more so government intervention in different aspects of the economy for you know, national security or economic security purposes and really having a bit more of a hand in there as opposed to you know, the complete you know, free range of the, of, the, of the market. And what we're seeing a lot, is, you know, largely driven by national security, is the, the, the steep rise of technology companies that are getting sanctioned due to national security concerns. And so that's exactly where that intersection is. It's that the, the technology concerns over surveillance, data access, data manipulation, the tool being used to help protect against that in the United States and in Europe is industrial policy uh, via a range of sanctions. And so that you know, it, it is a really um, a fascinating area to be looking at. And you know, from 2019 to 2020, about 350 different Chinese companies were sanctioned by the United States alone and by the Department of Commerce mm. alone. So that's mm-hmm. not even counting some of the Treasury sanctions. This was solely from commerce. And a large part of those were technology companies. And then we're seeing you know, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we really are seeing that sort of the, the foundation that was established with the approach to China being applied to Russia. And there's over 600 different companies now, uh, Russian companies, have been sanctioned by the U.S. Uh, since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the U.K. has sanctioned over 100 different Russian companies. And so it's not just, you know, it's not just the U.S. doing this. We're starting to actually see, coordinate, in the case of uh, the Russian sanctions, much greater coordination from uh, you know, Australia, Korea, across uh, the EU in pursuing various kinds of sanctions to serve as a uh, symbol of you know, support for Ukraine and then also to harm the, both the Russian economy and uh, Russian technologies. And that's what we're seeing is that many of the Russian companies are starting to have a hard time getting access to certain parts that they need because of the mm. strategy. Uh, the FCC in the U.S. has listed Kaspersky as a national security threat. Uh, prior right. to that, it, it, was only, uh, it was only Chinese companies that the FCC had listed. And so that's a, that's a shift now. And again, whether there's a whole school of thought that wants you more information on that and so forth, and, and, and that you know, certainly is understandable, and uh, you know, hopefully more information will be coming out in those areas. But regardless, I mean, this is what the government has 
has stated as a as as a concern as their law and as their um, and and four you know, partners are willing to deal with and so it does have economic implications and implications you know for really technology writ large and for what kinds of technologies are allowed in a, in a corporate infrastructure. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, and, and one of the elements uh, I find interesting is that there seems to be the political will, uh, I guess, combined as, as part of the national security interest, that there's going to be a little bit of pain here. You know, as, as the U.S. decouples from some of the Chinese providers for 5G technology, and as the EU decouples from Russia for some of their, you know, um, fossil fuel needs— uh, that's going to require some adjustments, and things may cost more. It may be harder to get things, but that's that's the uh, the value balance and equation that the nations are making. It is, and it's, it's interesting how much support there has been. You know, you know, I think with Russia and Ukraine, you know, it, it's a very visible, you know, existential uh, reason that you know the, the various countries are, are willing to take some pain. Um, right. It's also that you know, the fear of, you know. Russian expansion and dependency on a, on a country that is acting that way. I think on the side of 5G, uh, you know, there has been a whole lot more pushback, uh, especially you know, from, from those who are going to you know, have to actually implement you know, the, the rip and replace of, of Huawei, for instance. Right. And, and the government did, I think, something along the lines like $1.8 billion in the U.S. Uh, to help offset those costs. And then just recently, maybe even in the February, March timeframe of this year, the private sector came back and said, well, you know, our, our initial estimate was off. It's, it's, it's something closer to like 5.7, I think, uh, billion to, to rip <laughs> right. and replace. But so, who's so counting? Now, yeah. Who's counting, yeah. So, so you know, there, there's, you know, the government is providing some support, and that's why I, the government has to, to offset some of this and to actually get compliance. The government does need to, you know, combine the, the carrots and the sticks in, in this area. You know, Japan has provided, you know, a couple billion to their own domestic champions as well to facilitate the replacement of, of the Chinese technologies. And like to your point, I mean, it's very, very expensive. And I imagine, you know, along the lines of, you know, oil and gas in Europe, you know, there'll be increasing, you know, support in that area. And, you know, and not even adding on top of this, I mean, in the past we've talked about collective resilience, and this is exactly where, you know, allies and trusted partners are so important that, you know, the U.S. has offered, you know, additional natural gas, and that comes with some concerns over, you know, environmental impact and so forth. But Almost putting that aside, which you can't really put it aside, but just you know, at a higher level, it does show you know, greater willingness of the U.S. to support Europe to offset some of their own costs as well on that. And looking at this much more so as you know, we're only as strong as, you know, as, as the collective group. And if we can help build that res- resilience across, um, across like-minded countries, that will help offset a lot of the costs as well. Because it is, it's, it's going to be expensive. Um, it's, going to, you know, it's not going to be easy. And you know, it's going to be disruptive and at the same time, if there can be you know, replacements from, you know, the U.S. can't you know, create a replacement all on its own. EU can't put, create replacements all on its own. Uh, you know, Japan, Korea, Australia can't on their own. But doing it together can make it, can help offset some of the pain a whole lot more and hopefully building you know, even more secure networks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Andrea Little-Limbago, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! 
I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Haru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.